Y'all are, y'all are so kind. Thank you. Uh, Nicole, Susie, coming up for a second. I want to introduce you. I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you what you're sitting on, which is not the chair uh, only. The, those uh, annual reports are, the, uh, they're very special because they are a report of what Midtown as a body has done in the Napier community over the last year. So many of you might not know, Midtown has uh, really six congregations. Um, the Napier uh, congregation of Midtown started when my wife Susie and I moved into the Napier community about seven or eight years ago uh, to start an urban farm and to start feeding the community and doing food justice work. And that is now, um, by the grace of God, developed into and grown into a cross-cultural congregation of people, a cross-cultural church family. Uh, The Napier community is the largest um, public housing community in Nashville um, and the largest barrack style, like old school, um, very difficult barrack style public housing in the whole country um, is here just couple miles from where we are right now. So we live there. And then Nicole Vaughn is our executive director uh, of ministry and community relations. Um, and uh, we just wanted to take this opportunity to share what the last year has looked like in our ministry. Um, so I'm not going to go through everything in that, but I really would encourage you to take it home and go through it. There's a timeline of kind of what the Napier uh, church and ministry has been over the years and then the stuff that we're really excited from from this last year. Um, Nicole, do you want to share? You can grab that mic and flip it on. Tell them about the produce partnership, because that's something that um, we, we have two things really specific that we're going to ask Midtown West and the other Midtown congregations to participate in, and this is one of them. Yes, so the produce partnership, which I'm really excited about, um, I was, quickly, I was thinking the other day just how important seasons are, and just, you know, you appreciate a season, but then you miss it, and I miss our produce partnership, um, because that's where Uh, You all, members of the Midtown Movement, can purchase a CSA from uh, us, and you pick it up at Granny White, and because of your purchase, then it offsets the cost for us to offer, with dignity, produce to the Napier community and our mobile farm stand, which is what I was referencing initially, because um, May through October, I get to... uh, drive and uh, work with some of our teenagers to we, we go around the neighborhood and we with a truck and uh, offer produce at a low cost because Napier is a food desert. I also live in the community, been living there for six months, went to Napier as a child. Um, so it's kind of like full circle, just being able to be a part of this work and this ministry. So we would love for you all to be a part. I think there's like 50 spots available. The, you get to pick your produce, which is a really unique aspect, um, you know, with, with the CSA. So we would love your support. Awesome. Thank you. The second thing uh, is our it's sort of our onboarding uh, experience. I don't know what to call it. It's more than a class. Um, but we call it Napier 201. So hopefully after looking at the annual report, you will have put yourself through Napier 101. Um, but we, want, we know there's going to be more questions. And we also are very cognizant of the fact that the, the Napier community is very unique and the Napier congregation of Midtown is very unique. And uh, for folks that haven't grown up in the community and, and aren't historic members of that neighborhood, um, we know there's just a lot to learn. That's certainly been true for Susie and I in our you know, six or seven years raising kids in the neighborhood. So we want to help you with that. We want to give you ways to become more involved knowledgeably in the work in Napier. And so we would invite you to sign up for our Napier 201 uh, time. And that will be happening next month. Do we have a... So, uh, Wednesday, April 18th. 18th is the next... Yeah. 
on the, on the back of the annual report, there are QR codes for everything we just talked about. So snap that QR code for Napier 201, and that will take you to the registration page for the date. It will also give you all the details and more about the produce partnership that Nicole talked about. All right. Thank you all. Yes. All right, um, I get the uh, distinct privilege of getting to preach uh, this morning for you guys. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, when I look out here over this group of people, it, it's never a Sunday that I get to preach that I don't stand up here and I kind of just wonder, like, it's weird that we're all here. Like, why is it, when, let me tell you what I mean. When I look across this room, I don't know almost any of you. So that means there are stories filling this room of of people that I don't know. You guys have had different experiences. You've come from different places. Your family cultures were different. Your passions and desires and the work you currently do are different. Like it's, it's, it's remarkable that we come to the same place every week on Sunday morning to do this thing. You know, there's billions of dollars being spent in marketing by businesses to get a group of people to do the same thing, right? And how, how much of a farce would it be and how like hilarious and probably painful would it be if you came in here this morning and, you know, Jess gets up and teaches us a jingle for some company that we're going to sing. And then Matt like rolls in a screen and plays like an infomercial. And then I get up and try to get you to buy something. Like imagine if you all got here thinking you were going to do worship and instead you were put into this like place where someone was trying to get you to buy something. That's not what we're doing. Right? And yet that's what draws so many people together typically is, is you know, we're, we're, we're in it to get something or we're in it to receive something. What we're here doing this morning, I really believe, is we're here, and, and this will come out in the passage that we're preaching, we're here as Christians for church because we're looking for news. And I'm using that word really specifically because news means information or word that matters to you. Right? Like that's what the news is. Is it something that actually touches on your life in some way? That infomercial in my, you know, farcical imaginary reality, that infomercial wouldn't be news to you. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't matter to you. But what we're here to talk about this morning matters because all of us are looking for not just news, but good news. I know, I know, even though I don't know your stories, I know that in your story is the pursuit of good news. There's something, every one of you, again, I don't have to know it to know that it's there. There's something in every single one of you this morning that's looking for an answer to some problem. That's looking for the answer to a question you've been asking. It's looking for healing from some pain. You're looking to get something that's missing in your life. You're looking to repair something that was broken a long time ago. Or you're looking for a new thing that you've been searching for your whole life and you haven't been able to get there. And What's amazing about the book of Genesis is it actually takes us back to the beginning and begins to tell us not just why are you asking those questions, but it begins to give you the answers to those questions. It doesn't, it doesn't just, although it does, it doesn't just tell you why you're asking the questions you're asking or why you have the ache that I know every one of us has, but it also begins to give you the how and the where to go. It's kind of like a big knot, right? Like, so I, I got a shed in my backyard and everything that has like any length to it, whether it's like Christmas lights or a power cable or some kind of string, eventually what happens to it? It's like little gremlins get in there and tie it in a knot somehow. Maybe those gremlins are my five kids. Huh, never thought about that. 
But everything gets a knot, right? And what do you do when you're going to untangle a knot? you got to find the beginning. You find one of the little threads that's hanging out, and you hold it, and you start working from there. Well, Genesis, the book of Genesis, and the sermon we're preaching this morning, and the sermons we've been preaching are like giving us the beginning of that knot. It's giving us something to begin to tug on and pull on to unravel. What is this ache? What are these questions? What, what is the good news that we're all looking for? And why are we looking for good news? So, uh, can I have a reader? Do I have a reader? Yes. Sorry, I should have given you a little bit more warning. Um, everybody give it up. Elizabeth, thank you, Elizabeth, for coming to read for us. Um, turn in your Bibles with Elizabeth, please, to Genesis chapter 3. And Elizabeth is going to read for us Genesis 3, verses 14 to 21. Genesis 3, 14 to 21. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife, or yeah, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Elizabeth. Let me pray, um, Lord. Um, I pray that uh, for those of us that need to be uh, reminded or maybe need to be shown what that deep ache is and what those questions are, um, I pray that during this time, Lord, you would do that. And for those of us, Lord, that know it all too well, uh, that have not been able to escape from the question, from the wondering, from the ache, um, I pray you'd hold us. I pray that you would apply your gospel to that place and that you would begin to heal uh, what we just read. You know, the, the, you'd begin to heal the pain that began uh, way back then pray this in Jesus' name and by his power. Amen. So um, I'm very thankful for uh, your assistant pastor, Evan. Um, he set up very well last week this passage and this sermon. So if, you, if you're paying attention, we have not left Genesis 3. So Evan preached in Genesis 3 last week. We were still in Genesis 3 because it really takes at least two sermons. It really takes two tries at it to get out from this massive, massively important passage of scripture, what it is that we need. So if Genesis is helping us find the thread at the beginning of the big knot, we need to uncover what is given to us, the, the, the gift that this chapter of Genesis is for us, because it does two things. And I've already said it, it, it tells us why you're asking the questions you're asking. And for some of you, it might not feel like questions. It might just feel like groaning. 
I don't know how far back you have to go in your memory. Maybe it's just a couple hours or a few minutes to this morning. But you go back in your memory and you will find a place in your life where you hit a wall. You hit something. You, you, you hit an unmet desire. Or you hit a continued failure. Or you hit a mistake that keeps coming back up over and over again no matter what you do. Every single one of those experiences of life find their thread, find the source of their thread in what we're reading in Genesis 3, the fall. And so last week, Evan explained to us the nature of the fall and the nature of temptation. He explained how when the serpent came into the garden and he, you know, he said, we don't know even all the answers to what the serpent was or why he was there. But when the serpent came into the garden, he came into perfection. He came into a place in the story where there were no questions. There was no groaning. There was no unmet desire. There was none of the things that I was just telling us is the reality of our lives. That wasn't there. But through the work that the serpent did with Adam and Eve, he got them to leave the garden in their hearts. He got them to leave the loving presence, the, the, the caring question answering relationship with God because in a relationship with God like mankind and and womankind was created for there are none of those questions as God created us as he intended us to be he was the answer to all our questions he was the the desire that met all of our desires because he created us in perfect and full love there was no lack in the garden of eden When man and woman were there with God, they had everything they needed. And yet, the serpent tempted them to ask for more. And I'm going to call this, for the purpose of my sermon this morning, I'm going to call this the tragedy. So if we're looking at the arc of a story, some of you might remember if you were in literature, maybe if you go all the way back to elementary or middle school when you learn about stories. Stories have certain arcs, right? Tragedies are stories that start off with maybe some good things happening, and then what? They fall off a cliff. Another word that I love to use for a a true tragedy is a catastrophe. A catastrophe is a story of something gone wrong, of the story not turning out the way it was supposed to, the, the questions not being answered, the desires not being met, the needs not being filled. That's a tragedy. And the story of the fall is the story of mankind and all of creation in a catastrophe. And it's a piercing tragedy. Again, just like good news means it's good because it actually matters for you, the bad news mattered for them because it it broke all the things that were important for them. And Evan talked a lot about this last week, how what was broken in the fall, it wasn't just, wow, things kind of became hard. It was that relationship, the source of all good, including the physical garden itself, The source of all good for Adam and Eve was God himself. And they got everything they needed because of a relationship they had with him. And so what was broken in the fall was that relationship. The will, the choice, right? The free will that mankind had to love God back, they said no. Because there's no love without will, right? It couldn't have been true love if God had not created Adam and Eve with a will to say, Adam and Eve, I love you and I want you to love me back. He didn't make robots. He made human beings 
with the capacity to love and the capacity to choose not to love. And they chose not to love God. And so the fall was like adultery. Let's let's make this make sense to us. Let's make this hit us. In our human relationships, is there anything worse than a deep relationship where brokenness and betrayal doesn't hurt? Adam and Eve's fall from God wasn't just doing something bad, like like breaking the employee handbook, right? Like if you got rules at your job and you're supposed to like, well, you do these things, you don't do those things. We're not talking about they, they broke the employee handbook. We're talking about they committed adultery against God. It's like, it's like rebellion of a subject to their king. And the king was good and perfect. It's like the stiff arm that a teenager can give to a loving parent or an elementary kid. <laughs> I know that. I don't have teenagers yet. It's like when you love your kid, when you pour and you're, you're doing the best you can for your kid and you're not perfect, but you're still loving them and then they stiff arm you. This is like what Adam and Eve did to God, except God was a perfect parent. Or maybe another way to think about it is this was like betrayal of a dear friend. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, where a dear friend, someone you counted on, someone you had been vulnerable with, someone you, because again, it's relationship, someone you had given some of yourself to, and they didn't respect that. They didn't love you back. They didn't treat you with the kindness, the care, the love that you treated them. That is what the fall was. Adam and Eve saying no to a relationship with their God, their husband, their wife, their king, their father. He was all of those things for them. And the fall cut at the very heart of God because it severed the very thing that kept Adam and Eve with God, that relationship. And so we get to our passage this morning, and we get to see a little bit more about what happened as a result of that fall. And it's really interesting. So look with me in chapter 3. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because Adam or um, Evan last week talked a lot about what the fall was. But I want to point out, because it's in our passage, how we see the natural, and I'm going to underline that, the natural effect of man and woman's rejection of God. Because a lot of times we think about God's punishment on sin as like God acts like us. When someone does something bad to me, what do I do? I want to get back at them. Even my kids, right? When they do something wrong, I'm not punishing them for necessarily good reasons. I'm punishing them because I'm hurt and I want them to hurt. That's not God's punishment of sin. God's punishment of sin is more like he created this relationship. He created this world and how people and things in the world were supposed to work. And so when man and woman said no to that, What they experienced was just the natural consequences because God had made the world the way he did. It's not just because God's pissed off or he's offended or he's vindictive. These consequences that we see in this passage, these these judgments were natural effects of the sin that Adam and Eve created. Let's look and see. For both man and woman, the consequences was pain in a very deep element or deep area of their identity. So if you notice there, it says for the woman in verse 16, surely I will multiply your pain. And for the man, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. So both of them receive pain for what? Well, for the woman, it's childbearing. And for the man, it's the working of the ground. What's being said here? What's being said is that man and woman were created by God the creator to be creators. 
which I could also say like this, they were created by God the lover to love. Because to create something in God's economy is to love it. What is it that the woman creates? She creates life. The woman is the creator, in a human sense, the creator of all human life. And so God says, in this deep, powerful area of your identity as a creator with me, God says, now it's going to hurt. And we know this is more than just physical pain, although I know that is, I don't know. I know that I don't know that that's excruciating. It's not just the physical pain. It's the pain of what happens to you when you give birth to something and you're imperfect and it's imperfect. It's the inevitable rejection that happens. It's the inevitable breaking. It's again, just like we started with, it's the inevitable groaning that comes with things not being perfect when they were created to be perfect. And so the woman experiences pain in her act of creation. What about the man? Well, he works. He creates out of the ground. In this context, for these people, that literally meant he was the farmer. He was the one who created the food that they needed to eat. Also very important for life. And we know that God gave that task. He gave that created task to Adam before the fall. He said, till the ground, work the ground, produce from the ground. And man and woman, you together multiply. Do this creative, loving work in the world. And we see for the man, just like for the woman, He's now going to do it. He's now going to keep doing it, but it's going to hurt. There's going to be pain. And again, just like for the woman, it's more than just now the physical pain of, well, shoot, i got to like dig up this hard ground to till it up to plant seeds, although that was part of it too. In the, in the garden, it says the garden was watered from below. So there was no back-breaking labor for Adam to grow plants before the garden. God did it. But now the work of creation for man is laborious. It's painful. And just like for the woman, it doesn't reward the way we really need it to, does it? So for us together, men and women, our kids don't give us what we need. Our jobs don't give us what we need. Our accomplishments don't give us what we need. And again, because it's natural, the natural effect of sin, our very relationships with one another do not give us things they need. And it's why in there you see even the conflict. It's giving us a little taste of what's to come in the conflict between man and woman. In the conflict between husband and wife, the deepest of these covenant relationships between people, it's going to hurt. There's going to be pain. So the story of Genesis 3 is a story of tragedy. It's a story of catastrophe. But the first grace that we see in this passage is the fact that even though man and woman were the ones who created the tragedy, man and woman are not the writers of the story. Because Genesis 3 actually does something, and it's embedded. It's, it's like seeded in there. It's not super obvious until you see it, and then you can't unsee it. But embedded in the tragedy is actually good news. The thing every single one of you is here this morning looking for. It's the reason you come to Midtown West, even if you don't know. You might be coming because you think the music's great. You might be coming because you love Evan. You might be coming because you love Matt's preaching. That's not why you're here. You're here because there's something here that answers the deep questions that you're asking. It's a groan that comes back to you from the groan that your life is giving you, and it answers your questions. And it's the good news of the gospel. 
And it's in this story. And it's in this story so much so that I hope by the time we're done with this, you're going to say, no, Genesis 3 is not, a com- is not a tragedy. Genesis 3 is a comedy. Because in literature and in, 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 in works of literature, the tragedy is the arc that goes like this, but the comedy is the arc that goes like that. And at the beginning of every good comedy, and I'm not talking about like ha-ha comedy, right? Well, that's how we use that word. I'm talking about like an original, like the way the, um, I guess it would be like Greek literature, Greek plays. Comedies are stories that start out really bad. They start out with some kind of a cliff, but then it doesn't bottom out, it comes up. That there's an improvement, there's actually good news for the people that are at the bottom. And that's what we see in this passage, and we see it in a couple of different places. The first place we see it is in verse 15. Thank God that man and woman are not writing this story. They made it a tragedy, but we see here that God is turning it into a comedy. In verse 15, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he's talking to the serpent here. He's talking to the, you know, the devil, the one that tempted Adam and Eve to make this a tragedy in the first place. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, which means there's now going to be a war. He's not talking about man and woman. He's not telling Adam and Eve, hey, there's now a war. He's telling the serpent, there's now a war. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Typically, we think of offspring as a plural word, don't we? Like kids, right? Your kids are going to be fighting his kids. His kids are going to be fighting your kids. Like there's going to be this war between what? I guess people and snakes. There's more to it than that. Because look at the next word, he. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the Greek language, those words for offspring are actually singular. The offspring is what it's talking about. And the author of Genesis, Moses, I don't think even knew exactly what this meant. But again, he's not the author of the story. God is. And so what we're being told here is that God is not done writing this tragedy that we're all in. That God has actually ordained his son to come and to experience our tragedy with us. To feel the effect of sin. To feel the effect of the broken relationships that we just talked about. To be betrayed. To work the ground and feel pain from it. To feel the pain in being someone who creates as a human being just like us. And to take all of that on us to turn the tragedy into a comedy and to crush the head of the serpent, which is sin. Jesus is the one who comes to crush the head of the serpent, to crush the head of all those questions you're asking, to crush the head of the unmet desire that you've experienced in your life, to to crush the head of the pain that you are sitting there experiencing right now. Because God is not like us. When we get rejected, we reject. When we get hurt, we hurt back, right? When, we, when someone hurts us and we get pain, we want to figure out how do I get back at them or how do, I, how do I fix this myself? God is not breakable. And so when we broke our relationship with him, he said, no, it's not going to go that way. He said, this is not going to be the end of the story. And so what is the good news? The good news is our word gospel. I think Evan mentioned it last week. The word evangelion in Greek means good news. 
And in the New Testament, we see this word being used of the good news of the story of Jesus. And so the birth of Jesus is the comedy of mankind's history. The birth of Jesus is the turning everything that's wrong, turning this downward spiral that was only going to keep going. Because if all we see is what we see in Genesis 3, you can imagine how things are going to go when they just keep moving naturally. Right? What happens to just the world in general naturally? What happens to relationships naturally? Without someone coming in and really taking hits, it's going to just keep falling. And so the birth of Jesus came in to be the comedy for mankind's history. And when Jesus died on the cross, we get a glimmer of that also in this passage where it says that God, and this is the very last verse we read, and the Lord God made for Adam and Eve, for Adam and for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. In the New Testament, it tells us that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So just like Adam and Eve had their poor little pitiful excuse for clothes when they wove fig leaves together. I don't know if you've ever tried to make clothes out of fig leaves or walk around wearing fig leaves. I don't think it probably works very well. God took pity on them in their poor attempts to hide themselves. And he said, no, I'm going to clothe you with animal skins. Well, now God looks at us and he says, I'm not even going to clothe you with clothes anymore because clothes aren't going to hide the problems that you have. Clothes aren't going to, they're not going to cover the pain that you're in. They're not going to answer your questions. I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness. And I'm going to restore my relationship with you. I'll close with this. Um, that word gospel um, has meaning outside of the Bible. So in the Greek language, the word evangelion is a word that was used. And, and one of the ways it was used, the context for this word, was when an army has just had a victory. And typically a victory against an overwhelming force. The kind of victory that without the victory meant that your city was going to be destroyed. But instead you hear, oh no, our guys won. Like the victory is won. They're not going to come crush us. They're not going to come burn down our houses. And this word evangelion was used as the word for the message that a runner from the field of battle would take back to the city to say, good news, it's going to be okay. This, this impending doom, right? This, this tragedy that's on its way to you is actually not a tragedy anymore. There's no more danger. You're safe. That was an evangelion, a good news message. And that's the word that the scripture writers in the New Testament co-opted for our story. That the impending doom of continued sin, the impending doom of continued broken relationships, the impending doom of your life and your work and your kids and your Marriages not actually giving you the things you need, ultimately. Not actually answering the questions. That tragedy has been made right by Jesus. Let me tell you just quickly two ways that this is true. Every one of us is running. A lot of us are running in two directions at the same time. We're running from our past, and we're also running to some future. We're all running. Some of us live more as past runners, right? I'm running from my story. I'm running from what my dad did to me. I'm running from what happened to me when I was a kid. I'm running from a broken family, or I'm running from just recent pain. Maybe you moved to Nashville like so many people I meet that was just trying to get out of wherever they were, and Nashville seemed like a good place to go. 
A lot of us, some of us maybe, are more future runners. I am driven, I am flying, I am putting miles ahead of me to get to some future that I know I need. Those questions that you were saying, I was asking, well, yeah, I'm asking them, and I'm gonna answer them by this new job. I'm gonna answer them by getting right with this person. I'm gonna answer them by getting married. Or I'm gonna answer them by being out, getting out of getting married. We're running to some future that is just like Adam and Eve in the fall saying, God, I'm gonna fix this problem myself. And I'm gonna fix it by doing this or doing that. The gospel comes to us who are runners, whether we're past runners or future runners, and it says stop. It's a stop. Stop running. Stop running from your past. You're not going to fix it. By the way, it already happened. It's already done. And it says stop running to your future because your healing of yourself or your answering of your own questions, your filling that void that you're groaning from is not going to happen in your own power. It's not going to happen running more in the tragedy. It'll just be more tragedy. The good news of the gospel, the comedy of Jesus says, stop running and be clothed in the love of Jesus. Find the animal skins that if you know Jesus, he is offering to clothe you in, which we just said is not just animal skins or clothes, it's his righteousness. It's justification that doesn't require you to justify yourself. It's glorification in the future. It's glory for you, which doesn't require you to make your own glory. The gospel says, stop and be clothed in the love of Jesus. And then become a creator again. Look for that place that God has made you to be a loving creator. If it's a mom, create those kids. If it's a dad, create those kids. Work together in your family to create the kind of kids that love Jesus. If it's someone working outside the home, create. You're loved by God. You're justified by God. All your questions are answered by God. So now go and create. Lovingly create and labor for this world. Make money, but not for yourself, not to hoard away, not to just give you more things, but as tools to transform this world. Practice medicine. I know we got a lot of like medical professionals in this congregation. Praise the Lord. Go to that place over there and blow it up in the best way. (laughs) Right? Lovingly create. Make life out of this ground. There will be thorns and thistles. It will bring forth for you thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your face, you will work but know that it's a comedy you're working for. And the story's been done. It's been written. The work's been done. And so it allows us to be people who can walk through this gospel life, this comedy life, with, as Ecclesiastes says, weeping and laughing. Mourning and dancing. One of our pastors lost his sister yesterday. Just nothing nothing to even say to, to my brother about that. It's just mourning, right? But he goes to his family with the dancing story of the gospel. The hilarious, right? The 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 almost like so funny, so so joyful, it's funny, kind of laughing, understanding that I walk in the presence and the care 
of a God who's already written the story. And he's already taken the blame. He's already taken the hit that Adam and Eve were supposed to take. And so now he frees us to now run and be free and be loving creators as he originally intended to make us. So we do that in Napier, um, and I hope uh, you get the chance to see how we do it, but it's what you're doing here. It's what's happening at Midtown West. So thank you for being the church. Um, the staff and you that are part of this family, just like Matt, uh, led us to see when we accepted those new members. All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for just the, the riches. We just got such a feast of baptisms and new members and hearing about uh, the good news comedy of your gospel. So thank you, Lord, that you're that good to us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.